0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, August 30th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Regulations known as Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing have been suspended by HUD Secretary Ben Carson, and he's taken a fair bit of heat for it. So what does that policy change actually mean for making housing more plentiful and affordable? Emily Hamilton is a research fellow at the Mercatus Center. We discussed the change and some other options for putting quality housing within reach for more Americans. What essentially has uh, Secretary Carson, Secretary of uh, Housing and Urban Development, what changes has he made with respect to affordable housing? Why are they being criticized and why do you think that criticism is unfair?
1: Secretary Carson suspended the regulation that former Secretary Julian Castro had implemented, which was uh, with the stated purpose of carrying out Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing, or AFFH, which is a piece of statute that requires HUD not only to enforce laws preventing explicit racial segregation uh, or racial preference in housing, but also to take additionally steps that work toward affirmatively furthering fair housing. Now, what that means is a bit ambiguous. Under the Castro rule, Localities were required to do extensive studies and gather a bunch of data about socioeconomic segregation in their communities. And then in order to continue getting community development block grants, which are one of the only federal programs that gives money directly from the federal government to local jurisdictions, they were were required to create plans to better allow for socioeconomic integration if they did not perform well on these integration metrics uh, prior to doing these studies. So uh, Carson has suspended that rule and has said that he wants to implement a new rule with a focus on requiring jurisdictions to Uh, Liberalize their land use regulations in order to allow the market to provide greater socioeconomic integration. Land use regulations, in particular single-family zoning and minimum lot size requirements, are the most important rule on the books today in local governments that causes socioeconomic segregation. So while Carson's rule has received a lot of criticism for Walking back this effort to affirmatively further fair housing, in fact, if he carries out what he said he wants to, it will go to the heart of the rules that currently enforce segregation.
0: Okay, so uh, with respect to uh, minimum loss sizes, uh, single family zoning, what are the big? What are the if you could punch a uh, punch a nice big red candy like button. to to make a change to those policies, what would it be? It would just be get rid of them?
1: Exactly, yeah. In particular, single-family zoning, which outlaws the more cost-effective multifamily housing in the vast majority of the country and even within some of the densest, most expensive, and most in-demand cities in the country, um, from New York City to San Francisco, there is tons of single-family zoning which restricts the supply of housing in these places where tons of people would love to live and in turn makes them very expensive.
0: So uh, if AFFH, the Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing uh, policy, um, was only essentially on the books since, what, 2015, you said? That's right. Um, w- do we have any data about what uh, – was it too short a time to gather any real data about what impact it had?
1: Certainly, supporters of the 2015 rule say that it didn't have a chance to take effect and and would have led to improved integration across cities if it had been in place longer. But there was just no enforcement mechanism. So it's possible that some cities could uh, in taking a look at this data that they gathered as part of the rules requirements could see that uh, they w- suffered from segregation and in turn might be inspired to take action to allow housing policies that would better support integration. But all that they were required to do under the rule was create plans for better integration. There was no focus on outcomes in terms of actually allowing people of different racial backgrounds and different income levels to live in proximate neighborhoods to each other.
0: So what would, uh, as you advocate, uh, eliminating uh, minimum lot sizes? I mean, you're talking about more dense housing. And presumably there there are areas in densely populated metropolitan areas that are more internal, closer to the central business district where that could could occur. What you know, how does that actually advance uh, integration among different groups
1: when land is very expensive? taking advantage of building up and allowing for denser housing allows that very high land cost to be shared across more households. Uh, So even though building a high-rise is much more expensive than building single-family homes, when land's expensive, that's the way to allow that, that high cost to be shared across multiple households and to allow many lower-income households to afford to live in a place where perhaps just a few high-income households can live under single-family zoning. And I want to be clear that that uh, neither Carson nor Castro proposed getting rid of single-family zoning or anything close to it. Uh, rather, Carson would, would uh, perhaps require minor zoning reforms if he carries out what he's proposed.
0: So, um, among presidential candidates who uh, spe- uh, we're talking about the Democratic side um, who have proposed anything sort of remotely interesting with respect to to housing, what is uh, most interesting to you,
1: Senator Cory Booker's bill is. Interestingly, very similar to Secretary Carson's proposal, both have seized on to community development block grants to encourage zoning reform, which makes sense because there aren't a lot of other federal policy levers that go directly from the federal government to localities. And uh, in Senator Booker's bill, there's a list of zoning reforms that localities could implement if they want to if they currently have exclusionary zoning and want to continue getting these community development block grants. Also, Senator Elizabeth Warren has a very long and complicated housing bill that she's introduced that, in part, also focuses on encouraging zoning reform through what would be a new pot of federal grant money that would be structured in a a race-to-the-top form that would allow jurisdictions to get that money based on how far they go in reforming exclusionary zoning.
0: To what extent are uh, candidates for president or others and, – and again, a lot of this doesn't – shouldn't have anything to do with the feds in general. But uh, to what extent are uh, candidates for president simply ignoring a whole lot of what goes into making housing more expensive?
1: Well, many of them haven't introduced any housing plans and uh, – Perhaps that's an indication that they would not um, see that as a priority in their presidencies if they were to be elected. But beyond uh, Warren and Booker, several others have been talking about housing. In fact, it's gotten much more attention at the federal level in recent years, really since the Obama administration, housing has been a hot topic among uh, both the Obama and Trump administrations and uh, on the Hill more recently. And in some ways, it, it it does zoning certainly is a, a local issue, but it does make sense for the federal government to take action when local zoning restrictions are implemented in jurisdiction after jurisdiction and have led to entire supply constrained and very high cost regions. In part, it's a it becomes a federal issue because federal safety net programs, including uh, support for housing vouchers, just don't go far when jurisdictions implement local rules that make housing very expensive. And additionally, when entire regions become very expensive, Americans aren't able to afford housing in the location where their best job opportunities are located, leading to less, fewer opportunities for income mobility, less innovation and economic growth. So it, it really is a matter of federal concern.
0: So uh, Ed Glazer, I know, who uh, appeared on this podcast a few years ago, said we're essentially leaving, if not hundreds of billions of dollars on the table, trillions of dollars on the table by compelling people in many cities to live pretty far from where they work.
1: Yeah, that's right. The time and money cost of commuting is gigantic. And then beyond that, you have people moving up, say, a recent high school or college graduate moving not to where their best job opportunities might be located, but to where they can afford housing. So they're accepting a perhaps less exciting, lower paying career over their lifetime in order to live where where housing is manageable rather than where they would perhaps prefer to.
0: To the extent that uh, the feds are handing out uh, benefits like housing vouchers and that sort of thing, and those vouchers are not going as far as they should in cities where housing is expensive, driven in many cases by uh, local policies, is that effectively, in your view, just a subsidy from the feds to... Uh, those communities that are making housing more expensive?
1: Yes, that's right. Uh, And Senators Booker, Warren, and Senator Kamala Harris have proposed increasing subsidies to uh, housing But in cases where the supply of housing is essentially fixed by these local land use regulations, those subsidies will be captured by landowners uh, in the term in the form of increasing prices and rents rather than actually benefiting the people who receive them directly.
0: Are there any changes with respect to housing that states are making uh, that you see as beneficial right now?
1: Absolutely. And the state level is where I am the most optimistic. The While housing affordability and housing supply is a matter of federal concern, I'm not sure that community development block grants or other federal attempts to encourage liberalization will be very effective. But a state action has the potential to directly preempt some of these most important local land use rules that prevent new housing supply. This past legislative session, Oregon policy lawmakers passed a bill that essentially ends single-family zoning in all but the smallest Oregon towns and requires cities of 10,000 residents or more to allow for duplexes and, in some cases, up to fourplexes on land that is currently zoned for single-family housing. So that's a huge reform that I think almost no one saw coming within a single legislative session to get rid of one of the most important land use regulations that cities currently use to restrict housing supply. In California, lawmakers have passed a series of bills that work toward allowing accessory dwelling units or backyard cottages in uh, single-family homes. So that's a a very moderate way to allow for a little bit more density in all the parts of the state that are currently built out and most likely zoned for single-family uses. California lawmakers have also looked at some more ambitious reforms that would upzone and allow more housing density near the state's transit stops and in uh, what are defined as as job-rich communities in the state that hasn't passed Yet, but uh, there are certainly huge efforts being made at the state level in California to liberalize land use policy.
0: And is that just because of uh, how California exists? Like, why California? Why not Missouri or New York or some other state?
1: Well, it's, it's a huge issue in California because so many residents are suffering from very high rent payments and mortgage payments that it's risen to an issue of state prominence. In Missouri, there, there are a large number of residents who are also burdened by their house prices, uh, but it's not, not certainly far fewer as a percentage than in California and um, and it's it's uh, not due to local land use regulations in general. In New York, that's an interesting question. Uh, New York policymakers at the the local and state level in general have not made efforts to liberalize land use regulations, even though New York City is one of the most supply constrained places in the country. Um, perhaps. Uh, I, I, I couldn't tell you what makes state politics different in New York City, uh, but in fact, rather than passing, following the model of Oregon or California to liberalize land use policy, they've increased uh, rent control laws at the state level that will perhaps uh, lead to even less housing construction than they've been experiencing.
0: Emily Hamilton is a research fellow at the Mercatus Center. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us and suggest show topics on Twitter at Cato Podcast.